Hi, so glad you're here. And um, there's there's a lot to talk about today. Um, I want to I want to talk about uh, sort of the the the, the path of uh, the angels, kind of like um, what they're what, what a day in the life of an angel is like. Um, their their sort of spiritual reality, and since they're spiritual beings, what that can teach us about our own spirituality. And give us insights into that. And, um, and I want to connect it to a prayer that uh, Moshe, Moses, utters on behalf of, uh, on behalf of the Jewish people to, to God when he's finishing up his, his, his service as, as leader of Israel. He, he specifies a certain um, set of qualities that his successor should have that sort of mirror the life of the angels. And um, I'm going to go into detail in a moment, but, uh, but we can see that this can sort of like help guide us and also give us proper expectations of what we should, um, what we should know for ourselves in terms of what's normal and what's not normal. Because spirituality is such, a, um, such an individual process and it's such a personal thing that, that sometimes we don't really know what to expect. And, and, and if we have a better sense of what the... What the um, what the rules are, if you will, or what the what the what the, the the parameters are of it, then we can be more patient with ourselves and oftentimes more forgiving of ourselves, and also maximize um, the highs and lows, because as you'll see in a moment, that's very much a part of uh, what what uh, the whole spiritual thing is all about. So, let me begin with um, with this notion of the the spiritual life of angels. What, what, what a day in the life of an angel is like. And I just want to zero in on one particular point, and that's what we're going to focus on uh, in, in this talk, and we're going to sort of like look at all, all sorts of different dimensions of it. So this comes from uh, the prophet Yechesko, um, or in English, Ezekiel, and it's right in the beginning of his prophecies. It's uh, chapter 1, verse 14. Um, and what it talks about is how... Uh, here, I'll read it for you. It says that the Chayos, now these are a certain type of angels, um, the Chayos ran to and fro like the appearance of a flash. And this is sort of likening to a, a flickering flame. But the notion that the, the angels are running to and fro, and we'll see the Hebrew is actually going to figure out uh, to be very important in a moment, but um, just so you know, uh, to and fro, running to and fro, is in Hebrew, Ratzo Vishov. Ratzo Vishov. And this is a very important phrase for um, all the Hasidic masters. And the Baal Shem Tov and the uh, Berdichever Rebbe and all the Rebbe's have great lengthy explanations of what this means. Ratzo Vishov. The angels running to and, 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 and to running toward and away. And, um, and we'll see how this... Uh, this taps into our spiritual life. So let's just, let's just stay on the angels for a moment. It doesn't mean that they're running around like that they're just busy. That's not what it is. What it means is, is that they run very close, as close as they can get to Hashem, and then they run back. In other words, the, the experience itself gets so intense that they can't maintain it. They're going to like disappear, basically. They're going to just like just absorb into nothingness. And so they turn around and they, they go down. 
So to and fro can also be translated as up and down. In other words, the, 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 the angels are experiencing these spiritual highs and lows. But it doesn't come from the fact that they're getting depressed or that they've got so much work to do or so many errands to run. That's not the, the nature of their ups and downs. It's that the experience of being close to Hashem is so utterly intense that they can't take it. And so then they go back down. And then they go back and they go back down. And it's like this flickering flame back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. But from here, we see something very, very interesting about the nature of spirituality itself uh, as we apply it to us human beings, which is that I think, and I'll speak personally, but I I would imagine this is what most people think, whether they've actually kind of like um, spelled it out in their mind or not, um, is that what I want to be is on the highest spiritual level, ideally. And to the extent that I can't maintain that spiritual high, that this is a failing on my part of some sort. And that if I drop back down, I've done something wrong. And, and so, so what you see, first and foremost, is that the nature of spirituality is for it to go up and down, up and down. And that if a person experiences a spiritual high and then drops back down, that that's normal, actually. That they haven't done anything wrong. That that's normal. Now, just to be clear, I'm not talking about in a situation where someone is experiencing a spiritual high and then all of a sudden, you know, you know, just uh, starts, you know, yelling at people and, and stealing from people and everything like that. And then you go, oh, it's normal for me to experience a spiritual low. You know, it's normal for me to steal right now. So I'm just, I'm just talking about in an ideal state where a person is... Is, is trying to do the right thing. Even in the context of trying to do the right thing, they're going to experience ups and downs. And this mirrors very much the path of the angels, the spiritual life in the day of an angel, if you will. It goes to and fro, to and fro. Ratzo v'shov, ratzo v'shov. And we're going to get into just um, a deeper level of what those words mean in Hebrew, um, uh, God willing, in a bit. But... Um, I want to connect this now to, to, uh, to Moshe's prayer on behalf of Israel when he's sort of specifying the, the qualifications that his successor should have to Hashem. And this is in, um, this is in uh, Bamidbar uh, Numbers, uh, chapter 27, verse 17. And, and Moshe asks Hashem that that, that, that Hashem should appoint a leader, and I'm just quoting just part of the, uh, the, the verse here, the Pasuk, who will take them out and who will bring them in. And so I'd like to suggest that this mirrors, this mirrors these ups and downs, these spiritual highs and lows, that, that on a deeper level, I'll, I'll share with you the, the simple explanation of what... Um, what Moshe was asking for, but that on a deeper level, Moshe was asking that, that a leader be put into place that will be able to bring the Jewish people to their greatest highs, and at the same time, when they're at a low point, also be able to, to maintain them, and that they should experience the lows in a spiritual way as well. Now, 
Now that's the part that I want to focus in on um, for this next part. What does it mean that, they, that our, our lows should be spiritual as well? So, um, I heard in the name of Rebbe Nachman of Breslov something very amazing. Like I told you, all the spiritual masters are, are all into this idea of Ratzov Vishov, right? This, this going and coming back, going and coming back. And Rebbe Nachman of Breslov says that a person has to be um, a, a bucky, that means an expert, a bucky in uh, Ratzov, in, in coming close to God, and also has to be a bucky, an expert, Vishov, in, 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 in going down. You have to be an expert in going up, and you have to be an expert in going down. So, what does it mean to be, well, an expert in going up? Okay, that, that, that is sort of like more understandable. Like, like you, have to be, you have to know how to come close to God. And one of, um, one of the uh, beautiful bits of advice that uh, Rebbe Nachman says is a person has to learn how to have holy chutzpah, which means this sort of like, uh, you know, this... Um, this sort of sweet, holy brazenness, where a person won't take no for an answer from God in terms of closeness. Like, not that you are praying for a particular thing and you won't take no for an answer. That also is an important trait, by the way. Um, because, like, like, like we like to say that, um, you know, sometimes someone prays and then they don't get answered and they're afraid God isn't listening. But sometimes God says no. He was listening, he just said no. But oftentimes... It's not so much that God is, is saying no. A lot of times God is just saying not yet. So, in other words, we have to keep on praying. And then when, when to stop praying for something and everything like that, when a not yet is actually a no, then you, have to talk to, then you have to talk to good people and you have to get advice from other people. But that's a subject in and of itself. But the point that I really wanted to make is just in terms of a person desiring to be close to God. And, and there, you can't ever take no for an answer. You can't ever take no for an answer. You know, one of the most... One, one of the, the best examples of this, I think, and one of the most tragic examples, because um, unfortunately the story doesn't work out so well in the end, of not taking... Uh, refusing to take no for an answer, is um, there's a, you know, a, a very sad, uh, very famous story about one of the greatest sages of Israel... His name was Rabbi um, Elisha ben Abuya, also known as Acher, um, which was a bit of an ignominious name. It means the other one, because he sort of turned his back on Torah. And, uh, but he was one of the greatest sages, and he was a contemporary uh, and a peer on some level of Rabbi Kiva. So really, one of the most exalted, uh, one of the most exalted figures. And... Um, you know, if you if you if you want to read his story inside in the in the Talmud, it's in Gemara Chagiga, and uh, actually I have a, a whole talk on it um, if you're interested. Um, but anyway, the um, the point is is that is that is that Rabbi Elisha ben Abuya at one point really wanted to return back into the fold, and he said that he heard a voice from behind the partition up in Shemayim right up in heaven, like in the highest reaches of heaven, that everyone can return, chutz acher, except acher, which was sort of his nickname, except him. And, uh, and he took that seriously. But really it was a test. It was a test, which is, which is, is he actually going to believe that he can't return? 
And the answer was, no, he should have said, that's just a test, even I can return. Because everyone can return. That's the ground rule. The ground rule is that everyone can return. And uh, until our last breath, where there's life, there's hope. Until our last breath, literally we can return to God. And um, it says about, just so you want to hear just how far this goes, um, the longest reigning king of Israel, and the worst king of Israel, so it's like this weird, like, wow, sounds like the worst of both worlds, right? Was someone named Menashe, King Menashe. And, you know, he has a very interesting history, because um, his, uh, his father was um, Chizkiyahu, who a lot of people, a lot of the sages thought could have actually been the Messiah, could have been Mashiach. And late until, very late in life, Chizkiyahu was just one of the greatest, 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 greatest people ever. Um, and um, at the very end of his, or toward the end of his life, um, I don't know how old he was exactly, but he became very, very sick. And... And, uh, you know, he wants to know, like, why am I sick? Now, back in that day, you had prophets who were still alive. They could actually answer questions like that with a degree of specificity, which is amazing, because when things go wrong in our life, we don't know what's going on. We're like, is it this? Is it that? I can't figure it out. By the way, one of the things the, the rabbis teach that in today's day and age, if you want to try to figure out on some level why things are going wrong in your life, one, one path to explore is this concept of mida keneged mida, which means that look in the area where you're having trouble and see if you have some sort of problematic past in that particular area. Like maybe you did something at some point that needs fixing in that particular category. Or if there's a personality trait that, that underlines, because we know that, that actions that we do that we regret that's not the root of, of the cause. The root of the cause is the personality trait that caused that action. That's, that's the deeper fixing. So what is inside of me that caused me to do that thing to begin with? And then look to that thing, and then sometimes that can be the fixing of what the problem is in our life. But still, it's a very mysterious process in today's day and age. But we should know, I heard this from Rabbi Torsky, Micho Torsky actually, that any work that we do to improve ourselves, even if it turns out that that wasn't the, the problem spot, any work that we do is precious to God and helps and, and improves our life. So we, we should know that. So no effort is wasted uh, when it comes to self-improvement and trying to raise ourselves spiritually. So, anyway, so Chizkiyahu um, is trying to figure out what's going on, and he has... The prophet Isaiah, Yeshaya to ask, right? One of the greatest of the greatest prophets, right? So he says, he calls him Yeshaya, and he says, Yeshaya, why am I sick? Why am I dying? You know, can you imagine, like, wow, like, how about that to have him on your staff, right? So Yeshaya says, you know why? Because you never got married, and you never had kids. Like, who, who gave you permission to, like, you know, just, like, boot just to punt the mitzvah of having children. And, you know, not everyone is privileged to have children, unfortunately. But a person has to make an effort toward it. You know, so, you know, God willing, all of us should have our husbands or wives or whatever it is and be blessed with, with healthy children. But 
at least a person has to make an effort. And that's the most we can do because ultimately these things are in the hand of God. So as long as we're making an effort, then we're, we're heading in the right direction on that. Um, we're doing what we can do. So now God has to do what, 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 he, what only he can do. But anyway, Yeshaya, uh, Hizkiyahu, the king, wasn't making that effort. That's the point. Now, why wasn't he making that effort? And the answer is because he said he saw... Now, remember, we're talking about one of the greatest people ever here. He saw that his children would be like a really... Like his child would be a really bad guy. Like a really bad guy. And he thought, why should I bring such a bad guy into the world? And so Yeshaya was like, well... Okay. Yeshaya was like, I've got two things to say about that. (laughs) The first thing is that it's none of your business. (laughs) You have a mitzvah to bring children into the world. So, you know what? That's, that's God's business. You've got to do what you've got to do. And that in itself is very humbling and is a very big, important lesson right there. So that was number one. Number two, Yeshaya says, look, I'll let you marry one of my children. Now, I don't know if it was his child, his daughter, or his granddaughter. I'm not sure exactly. And he's like, between your righteousness, and remember, Chizkiah, who was one of the greatest ever, and Yeshaya, the prophet Isaiah... I mean, you talk about bloodlines, family lines. I mean, so Yeshaya's like, at that point, we're absolutely doing our best. We can't do better than that. And then God's going to do what God's going to do. So Yeshayahu, uh, the king, agrees. And they, they, uh, they make the match. And, um, and the child born from Yeshayahu and the descendant of whether the daughter or the granddaughter of, of, of Isaiah, turns out to be Menashe, the worst, lowest king. <laughs> it was exactly what Chizkiyahu feared. But then again, this is in the hands of Hashem. You know, so, so it's a very twisty, ironic story. But why am I telling you this whole story? Because of this last part. At the end of the end of Menashe's life, he did tshuva. He returned to God. And there was like a big storm in heaven. And they were like, what? No way. Uh-uh. This guy's been reigning for decades. He's like reinstituted or instituted idol worship in Israel. I mean, this guy's the lowest, the worst. And it says that the angels carved out on command of God, the angels carved out an entirely new pathway, a whole new freeway up to heaven for Menashe's prayers and for his tshuva, that they should be accepted. So maybe, you know, maybe this ultimately was why Hashem wanted Chizkiyahu to have Menashe to begin with. So that all of history should learn that you can even be the most corrupt and the lowest and that you really have till the last moment and that every moment counts and that your prayers, that even if the angels have to carve a new pathway in Shemayim, in heaven, that your prayers will still be accepted. So, so you know, again, ironically, it becomes a message of hope and empowerment for all future generations. So, so back to us. Back to us. So we know that um, 
when Rebbe Nachman talks about this holy chutzpah, this sort of like ref- never taking no for an answer when you want to get closer to God. Even if you hear a voice behind the partition Hashem saying that you can't come closer, don't believe it. It's just a test. You can always come closer. From wherever you are, you can always come closer. And um, so that's, that's in terms of rising up. And, and, and there are more sort of traditional teachings of how to get closer to God. Obviously, Torah and mitzvahs and all the rest and just kind of being good and having an open heart and all the rest. This, this we know. But, but, but the more maybe, the more maybe uh, difficult as area to master is how do you become a Bucky Vishov? How do you become an expert in going down? Right? In terms of managing depression or managing just the mundane, boring, unexciting parts of life. How to remain spiritual in the, in the off time, so to speak. And so that's what I want to just concentrate a little bit on right now. You know, I'll just say one, one thing from Rebbe Nachman. And when I talk about depression, I'm not talking about chemical depression. That, that if a person really feels as though they're clinically depressed, they should see a psychiatrist and, and there's medication for that. And, and, and that, that's unfortunately something that, that, that millions and millions and millions of people live with. And that's become, for better or for worse, normal today. So it, it, it's, not, it's not a stigmatized thing. And if a person really feels as though they're experiencing that, they should seek help. But, um, but in terms of just sort of like, uh, non-clinical depression, when a person just sort of like feels bad. And, and, and Rabbi Nachman says, you know, you have to find the good point. You have to find the good point in yourself and you have to seize on to that and not let go of that because it's always there. Just find the good point and hold on to that. But, but what I want to do is I want to discuss a different aspect, which is the spirituality of the mundane. Because you see, returning back to the Ratzovishov of the angels, the the rising up and the going down, you see, that's just again the normal process of spirituality. So so when we go up and we go down, you see, an angel, even when they go down, they're still in a spiritual state, because they're an angel. They're leaving they're, they're they're living a completely spiritual existence. So even in their downtime, so to speak, not downtime, but even when they go down relative to going up, they're still in a highly spiritualized state. So we tend to think, and I want to make sure that we understand the difference here, because I'm making a big distinction right now, that we go from spiritual to not spiritual. But that's not what, that's not what our process is. What we, because we're within Hashem. We never leave being from within Hashem. So in that way, we're very close to the angels. So our rising up is spiritual, but when we go down, that still has to be a spiritual state. It's a different flavor of spirituality, but it shouldn't be anything less spiritual. So let me give you an example. So maybe I'll be communicating a little bit clearer with this. 
I heard from Rip Shlomo that one of the biggest averas, or the biggest avera, a person can make, the biggest sort of like, you know, sin against God, if you will, is imagine a person is davening at the Kotel, and they, they, um, they're praying to God at the Kotel, the, 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 the holy wall in Jerusalem, our holiest site. And they're davening, they're praying, they're having like an awesome, you know, spiritual um, communion with God. And then they finish up their prayers and then they say to themselves, okay, now back to reality. So that's like bad news. That's bad news to think in those terms. Because what is a person actually saying now back to reality? That what I've just engaged in has been this sort of like fantasy? And that there's somehow a disconnect between the God that I've just been communing with and the God who now I'm walking through to get a, 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 a taxi back to my hotel? Like that somehow God doesn't exist in the, in the normal mundane world, only when I'm in the midst of prayer? You hear the problem with this. It's, a, it's, very, it's very problematic. And, you know, like for instance, sometimes people ask me like, how can I pray better? And one of the things that I tell them is, is that, you know, prayer like, like David and Melech, King David says in the Psalms, Anitafilati, I am a prayer. Right? It would be translated more, more sort of like loosely as my prayer is. But literally, Anitafilati means I am a prayer. means that a person has to be in a constant state of prayer. You know, the Rebbe's all say that the soul is constantly praying. So the reality is that we are praying 24-7. That is the reality of our, of our existence. How much we're tapped into that is, is a whole other question. So the idea is that if a person is going into shul or going into some prayer space and that's when they're praying, that's already the first problem. In other words, you should have never have stopped praying. Or even the strongest prayers are when you leave shul, when you leave synagogue. That's when the prayers have to actually kick in stronger. Right? And then hopefully if you're in this state of prayer and whatever level, then when you go into shul, then it kicks it up a notch. You're not going, you're not going from zero to 60. You're going from 60 to 120, okay? Or whatever it is. So what I'm trying to communicate is, is the following point, that when a human being goes from this, this, this ratso, this, 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 this running to Hashem, and then goes the shov and comes back down, they're not in a non-spiritual place. They're just in a lower level, a different frequency of spirituality. Because remember, we dwell within Hashem. So it's all, it's all spiritual. And as we've said many times, the physical world, what is physicality? It's condensed spirituality. That's all it is. So, so we, never leave a phys- we never leave a spiritual place. So, so but how do you how do you maintain this level of awareness when we're, when, when we're in this shov place, when we're in this sort of um, this, uh, place of return, if you will. Now, you should know that I, that I saw in the name of the Baal Shem Tov, when he's talking about uh, Ratzel Veshov, this running and returning, 
one of the paradigms, there are different paradigms that are discussed that what this correlates to, but one of the paradigms is when we talk about, um, when we talk about a person's consciousness, we talk about two states of consciousness. One is constricted consciousness, and the other is expanded consciousness. Constricted consciousness is when I'm just totally focused on the mundane and and I I may even be forgetting about God, right? And then expanded consciousness is this more sort of like broader awareness of the world around me. So so that's another paradigm for Ratzovashov of running and returning. Expanded consciousness versus constricted consciousness. So we have to make sure that even in our state of constricted consciousness, we understand that we're dwelling within Hashem. Now I want to tell you something. Yesterday I was walking to Shul, with Shah this morning. And I'm walking a particular way. And there's this very interesting tree, kind of like this very exotic tree that this, uh, this block planted, and um, with very thin, delicate branches, and uh, very interesting flowers. I think it might be... I don't know, I've never seen a tree like this in the neighborhood. It's a it's very, very, very interesting tree. I think it might be Asian or something like this. Anyway, I'm walking by, and in the corner of my eye, I see this black clump in the tree, and it's moving slightly. And I see like almost like a little fluttering of wings, right? And I thought to myself, I started to walk away, and then I thought, well, wait a second. That, that seems like it must have been a hummingbird, but that must be the smallest hummingbird I've ever seen. You know? So I turned back around to like take a closer look. And it wasn't a hummingbird. It was a giant black bee. And so it was this big... I don't even know, like, maybe... I don't even know what to compare it to. But anyway, it's a really big bee. And then it had these little wings and they were, you know, flapping back and forth. And... And I'm looking, kind of just standing there, trying to figure out what it's doing. And it's pollinating a flower. It's like very small flower, especially given the size of this bee. You know? And I thought, wow, you know? Just kind of checked it out for a little bit. And I started walking. And I thought to myself, there are a lot of flowers on that tree. You know? And... Look how God works. God is sending that, that bee to f- pollinate that one flower. But I'm sure that bee isn't just going to stop at that one flower. It's probably going to go from flower to flower to flower on that tree. I thought, and though the flowers were really small, I thought, wow, God, look how God, look how, look how precisely God is running the world. He's paying attention to every one of these tiny flowers. And then, you know, we have a teaching which says that there's an angel that's put in charge of every blade of grass, telling it that stands over every blade of grass. And think about how many blades of grass there are in the world. Trillions and trillions. And it stands over every blade of grass telling it to grow. That's what it says. So... I thought to myself, now, if God is paying attention to these tiny flowers on this tree, how much more so is he paying attention to each one of us, where he's actually putting a piece of himself into us? And then I thought to myself, you know, God is taking the world really seriously. (laughs) 
So if God, you know, if you want proof of how important life is, look how seriously God is taking the world. You know? So, in terms of, in terms of uh, our own lives, how to connect with God when we're in this state of constricted consciousness, if you will. First, we have to recognize that we've never left Hashem's presence, even if we're just seeing the, the set of bills that are in front of us on the kitchen table or something like that. We've, we've never left Hashem's presence and that Hashem is absolutely with us. You know, I heard from Reb Shlomo something. He said, you know, I told you what he said the biggest, the biggest Avera was, right? Saying, now back to reality. Now let me tell you what he said the biggest Kiddush Hashem is. So this is the opposite end of the spectrum. The greatest thing a person can do is to communicate to people how close God actually is. See, we intuitively understand how far away God is. But the reality is, is that as far away as God is, He's even closer. <laughs> he's even closer than He's far away. But again, we have this paradigm, like we express it as the, this construct. There are many constructs, but maybe the most uh, famous one is Avinu Malkeinu, our Father, our King. You know, on the one hand, He's our Father, He's right there. On the other hand, He's our King, this exalted presence that's in a palace somewhere uh, beyond. Right? But it's both true. It's both true. And so much in our generation, we get the Malkenu aspect, the our king aspect, but we don't understand the Avinu aspect, God's utter closeness at all times. So we have to tap into that. Now remember, Moshe prays to God, please grant the Jewish people a leader who will take them out and bring them in. In other words, that will teach us the importance in the spirituality, not just when we're in a spiritual state, but also when we're, when, when we're in, this, in this low state. In this low state. To understand that your presence is there constantly. Now, now I want to go to another level right now. I mentioned the, the Hebrew words, Ratzo Vishov. Ratzo Vishov, this running of the angels and returning. And that's again in, if you want to see it, that's again in chapter 1, verse 14 of, of Yechesko, of Ezekiel. This, um, this pathway of the angels, okay? And that is mirrored in our own lives as well. So I was, you know, I was just kind of like contemplating these words and just kind of thinking about them. And I thought, you know what, I, I'd like to actually take the, take the, uh, the gematria of Ratzo Vishov. Right? And and I debated for a moment whether I should do that. And then I thought, you know what, these this phrase is so important. Like the Basham Tov is quoting it over and over again, the Bradichiva Rebbe, Rabbi Nachman. Like they're so into these words, Ratsovishov. I've gotta I've gotta it's it's I've gotta look more deeply into it. So I did the gamatri of it and it blew me away. It's 611. Now, that may mean something to you right off the bat. It may, mean not, may not mean something to you right off the bat. But 611 is the gematria of the word Torah. So it's, you know, you can't get more bedrock than the word Torah itself. Right? That's Torah. So, 
So, I'm, so I want to begin to explain the correlation between Ratzovishov and the word Torah. So the most primary thing I want to say is the following, which is the Torah is there for us in all of our ups and downs. Right? We could just end the discussion with it right there, but I, I want to go in further than that. The Torah is there for us in all of our ups and downs. And a person has to understand the following. You know, in, in AA, they talk about falling off the wagon. What does that mean? Falling off the wagon means that a person is, you know, has a drinking problem or, you know, some other uh, abuse problem, and they stop doing it, and they're in a good place, they're not doing it anymore, oh, they fall off the wagon, they start doing it again. So, so, but in Torah, you have to understand something. Because God is everywhere, and because there are mitzvahs for all situations, even in our low state, there are special mitzvahs, like the mitzvah of returning back to God, right? How can you return back to God unless you're in a low state, unless you've made a mistake? In Torah, if you fall off the wagon, you fall onto another wagon. <laughs> you're never off the wagon. You're never off the wagon. So, so that's a very important concept, right? We have a mitzvah, by the way, of returning stolen money. Now, how do you keep the mitzvah of returning stolen money unless you steal? So that's an, that's an example. That's an example. Also, there's another great example. It says, it says in the Torah, there's a certain cor- korban by Pesach that you have to eat the whole thing that night. And you divide it up with your family and you eat the whole thing that night. It says, eat the whole thing that night. Don't leave anything left over. And then it says, anything left over you have to burn the next day. Well, wait a second. You just told me you don't leave anything over. But here you see, if you didn't keep it and you left something over, there's a mitzvah that tells you how to fix what you did wrong. So even when you fall off the wagon, you fall onto another wagon. So, so that's, that's very important. So the Torah is there for us in all of our highs and lows. Ratzel Veshov equals 611, which is Torah. The Torah is everywhere. All right, now I want to say something further on this. Because I was, thinking, I was thinking more about this. You see, we have to understand something about angels. Angels are created beings. In other words, Hashem, and this goes without saying, but just to articulate, articulate it, Hashem is beyond the angels. Of course He is. He's beyond, beyond, beyond the angels. And that the angels are creations of God. Alright? But it goes further than that. The angels themselves say, where is the place of His glory? Aye, where? Where is the place of His glory? The angels also say, blessed is Hashem from His place. Meaning to say, that even the angels themselves, in all their spiritual magnificence, don't see the ultimate completeness of God. That, that even from the angelic perspective, God is beyond them. The angel, just like we don't see the ultimate you know, place of Hashem. Even the angels who have an exponentially, dimensionally higher vision of God than us, they can't see the fullness of God either. That's because God created them. They're a subset. They're a subset. Okay. Why am I dwelling on this? Because, because how many mitzvahs are there? We said that the path of the angels is Ratzovishov. They run to the highest place and then, then they return. 
But that correlates with the number 611. But we know that there's 613 mitzvahs. Right? Which means that they only get up. They don't get up to the completeness. Meaning to say. Right? There's even an area that's beyond them. So, so, so if you now look, by the way, so, so what is this whole disparity? If, 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 if Torah is 611, how do we know that there's 613 mitzvahs? Right? So, so if you look in Gomorrah Makos, on page 23b, um, you'll see Rabbi Simlai, Rabbi Simlai uh, taught us how we know there's 613 mitzvahs. Which is, you take the gematria, he says, of the word Torah, which is 611. And then, Hashem said the first two mitzvahs, the first two of the Ten Commandments, and that's what you add to 611, and then you get 613. And that's how we know that there's 613 mitzvahs. Okay? Now, now listen to this. I want to sort of, I want to, I want to just kind of go a little bit further with this idea. If you look at the Pasuk in Parshas Yisro, it's right at the very beginning of the giving of the Torah uh, on Mount Sinai. It says, Hashem said all of these words. Okay? See, we're going to try to figure out exactly what's going on. Because our tradition is Hashem said the first two, then Moshe speaks the rest. Okay? It's a whole... It's a very detailed study, like exactly how it went down, okay? So, so that's, the, that's the basic model that we have to know. But it's going to get a little bit more detailed, so let me just share that with you, okay? So the Pasuk says, the verse in the Torah begins, when, when Hashem starts speaking out the Torah, it says, and Hashem said all of these words. Okay, so, so Rashi brings down, and, it, and it, it's uh, from the Gomorrah and Sota, Rashi, Rashi brings down... What is it? Why does it say God said all of these words? Why, does it, why doesn't it just say God said these words? Right? What does it mean all of these words? Because when Hashem first spoke out the Ten Commandments, He said all of them simultaneously. He said all of the words, quite literally. But it, this is on a level that was beyond the human being's capacity to comprehend. And then he said each of the commandments, each of the Ten Commandments, but again, he did it in such an exalted way that we weren't able to grasp it. Okay, this is all in the Rashi, if you want to look it up. And then Hashem said the first two in a way that we were able to comprehend. Okay? And then he gives them over to Moshe, and then Moshe says over the rest. Now, I just want to point out something. I'm going to connect it back to this to, this, to the angels in a moment. But you see something very, very interesting there. Which is that it's very similar to this concept of tzimtzum. Right? Tzimtzum means like compression. Condensation. And it's one of the ways that God created the world. He took His heavenly light, His exalted light, and He compressed it and compressed it and compressed it and compressed it until that light became physicality, became the physical universe. 
Now our tradition is, is that God made the world out of Torah. God made the world out of Torah. And that the Torah as it existed before the, that the Torah existed before the physical universe existed. And that the Torah is the will of Hashem. As Reb Shlomo says so beautifully, when you keep the, the mitzvahs, you're dreaming God's dreams and praying God's prayers. Right? So what did God do when He first spoke out the Torah? It was on this, this level of light which was beyond the physical. We couldn't, he said all the words at once, simultaneously. And we couldn't grasp it. It's like the highest aspects of the light. Then he said each verse, but in such an exalted way that we still couldn't grasp it. But still, it's becoming more delineated, like the physical universe, transitioning from spirituality to physical reality, in one seamless continuity. And then he said the first two in a way that we could grasp. And then he has Moshe say the rest. So, down to physicality, do you see? So it mirrors... Just like God created the world out of Torah, the giving of the Torah itself mirrors the creation of the world itself, which is made out of Torah. Something awesome there. That's awesome. So, so you see, the two mitzvahs that Hashem said, when He said them initially, they're beyond, 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 beyond. In other words, Ratzel Vishov is the pathway of the angels. At a certain point, the angels get to a certain point, but they can't grasp the full extent of Hashem. Right? Because there's that region above, the full 613, which correlates with Hashem speaking it out on a, on a level that's even beyond the angels. Right? An aspect of His infinity. Now, I'll say one more thing. Correlating with these upper reaches of Shemayim. Which is that we say that, that the, the first utterance of Hashem he said all of the Ten Commandments at once, simultaneously. Now the Balaturim brings that in the Ten Commandments there's 620 letters. And those 620 letters is the gematria correlates with the word keter, which means crown. And that's 622. And Kabbalistically speaking, in one of the paradigms of the maps of heaven, keter is like the very top of heaven. The crown of heaven. So in other words, the angels go to 611, Ratzovashov, Ratzovashov, right? But they don't reach the highest levels because even they ask, where is the place of Hashem's glory? So, so again, let's just kind of wrap it up and, uh, and just review for a moment. The normal pathway of spirituality is to go up and down. That's normal. And if we experience spiritual highs and then spiritual lows, we shouldn't think that there's something wrong with us. Right? Moshe asked, let there be a leader who will guide them in their going to and their coming from. And that... We have to become masters, like Rabbi Nachman of Breslau says, Bucky's Vishov. We have to become masters in, in how to spiritualize or understanding that even in our low points, we're still within Hashem. And to find ways to connect, even if it's in a different flavor. In other words, in other words sometimes 
the answer in our low state is, is not just to rocket ourselves or to do our best to rocket ourselves back into a high state, but to just sort of like chill, but to chill in the presence of God. You know, so we're sort of like, okay, I'm in a place of constricted consciousness, but God, I know you're right there. God, I know you're right there. You're right in this room with me right now. And that, and that, that is, that's how we can become masters. Masters of, of spiritualizing even these relatively unspiritual moments which are inevitable in our lives and embracing it all. Hashem should, should bless us that we should become masters the Ratzo and masters the Shov so that we should see Hashem everywhere and to always feel His closeness. Thank you.